Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. And this is the burning bush experience. This is Moses and God revealing himself and speaking to Moses through the supernatural means of a burning bush. Have you ever heard of that part of the story? Moses, a whole book is written about his story, but this specific part is when God is speaking to Moses through the burning bush. And the Lord asked him in verse two, what's in your hand? And Moses answered, a shepherd's staff. Everyone say a shepherd's staff. That's how Moses replied. So the Lord said, throw it down. It became a snake. He said, pick it back up again. And God showed him a few more signs. Moses, of course, we know that he argues with God. Little ridiculous to argue with a burning bush. I mean, clearly God has chosen you. Clearly he's supernatural and miraculous. But Moses still argues and says, why would you send me? I'm slow of speech. Why would you send me? I'm, you know, I'm no one. Why would you pick me? And Finally, God's just like, okay, fine. He's like, if you're going to be this resistant, don't you have a brother, Aaron? He's like, have him go with you. He can speak for you. But you're still the guy for the job. So he tells him his final instruction. He, he is instructed by God to go and release the children of Israel from the grip of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has them in captivity. He has them in slavery. God's final instruction to Moses is in verse 17. He says, and take your shepherd's staff, everyone say shepherd's staff, with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for your joy. I just feel just, I don't know, I just feel like a fun atmosphere today. And that's because your presence is, it's fun, God. I love serving you. There's nothing like serving you, God. That at your right hand are pleasures evermore, God. That in your presence is fullness of joy, God. And we just thank you today that if people have felt weary on their journey, if, we, if people have felt um, heavy laden, God, that today you would take their cares, God. Today you would give them strength. Today you would renew faith and strengthen each and every person, God, right where they are. You know our desires. You know the things that trouble us, God. And we just thank you that you're the answer to everything. You're the answer of all that all we need God and we just thank you in advance for miracles in this place and if you agree with that can you say amen amen so do you remember this question growing up I'm sure a well-meaning teacher or maybe a family member at a um, Christmas party or a family gathering at some point leaned over and asked little old you what are you gonna be when you grow up Anybody? Anybody? Okay. It's a harmless question, am I right? Seemingly harmless, you know? And third grade Amy, I won't tell you what my maiden name was. You'll have to look it up. I didn't like it. Smith is really good. (laughs) Third grade Amy 
would answer that question confidently in Mrs. McKenna's class. In fact, my hand was one of the first ones that shot up because I knew God had already spoke to me. I knew God had already revealed my destiny. I already knew the job I was meant to have. I already knew because God had clearly come to me and spoke exactly what I was supposed to do. I remember the time, I remember the place, and I remember where I was. Third grade, sitting in a movie theater. The movie that God used to speak to me about my destiny was Free Willy. (laughs) You think I'm joking, I'm not. I sobbed through that movie. The Michael Jackson song gripped me to my core. And I knew God had told me. He was like, this is your destiny, Amy. You shall be a whale trainer. (laughs) And, you know, I was fine either way. I was fine if God wanted me to work with killer whales or dolphins. I love both. And I was fine. I was like, you know what? I mean, it makes sense, God, that you would tell me this. I mean... The stars are aligning. Everything makes sense. SeaWorld's right down the road. I mean, I will just do what's necessary to make sure that I'm their girl. Need, if they need a dolphin trainer, I'm your girl. If they need a whale trainer, I'm your girl. So I was just going to go through everything necessary. I, I mean, with confidence, I know what I'm going to be, Mrs. McKenna. But then as I gave it a little bit more thought, I was like, well, there's kind of a few holes in my plan. Number one being the fact that I'm actually a terrible swimmer. (laughs) It's actually true. Ask my children. I've been known to push them off of rafts to save my own life. I mean, I can doggy paddle with the best of them. But I actually, I mean, I'm below average for sure. So I'm a terrible swimmer. That's kind of a hole in the plan, right? I mean, you kind of need to be a good swimmer if you're going to be... Training whales, not anymore. At the time. And number two, another hole in my plan is actually, I hate swimming. Probably why I'm not a good swimmer. I, the whole idea of swimming, getting my hair wet, being in the water, I hate, I actually dislike it. Um, here's a little reminder. You, you actually go swimming every day if you're a whale trainer. Am I right? Pretty, you get wet every day. And then number three, I actually feel like God has blessed me. Maybe a curse, maybe a bless, but with a sixth sense. I know you have five senses. One of them is smell. But let me assure you, my sixth sense is actually elevated smell. I have a supernatural ability to smell anything. Ask Anyone who knows me personally, I am the pickiest person when it comes to smells. I know what you cooked. I know what perfume you have on. I know what I know the details of your life by the way you smell. <laughs> Don't be afraid of me. It's okay. But my number one least favorite smell in the whole world is pretty much anything that comes from the ocean. So that is kind of a damper in my plans. Am I right? And I mean... Most of which, I dislike the smell of fish. I won't cook it in my house. I I mean, kind of a problem because I think whales eat fish. I'm just guessing. I didn't make it through 
you know, this career goal. I didn't study very much, but I seem to remember that they eat fish. Another problem, right? So maybe even in our best intentions answering that question when we were little, it's a well-meaning question, but maybe it's a little bit misleading. I mean, of course, it's a good question because you're asking children to dream. You're asking them to, you know, see that the sky is the limit. Anything you want to do, baby, you can do, of course. But maybe it's a little bit misleading. As we get older, we come to realize that actually the end all, the goal in life is not the job we have. Am I right? It's not the title we're, you know, trying to achieve. It's not the degree that we're seeking that really life is a journey. Really life is a process. I mean, a vocation or a job is as fleeting as the wind. Tomorrow you could have a different job, but that doesn't mean that you somehow are lesser. Somehow you've accomplished less. It's just a different season. It's just a change. Are you following me? So it's a good question, but we realize once we get older, we're like, oh, actually, that's not the goal. Because what happens when you get the job? You are the police officer. Do you say, I'm now a police officer, I'm done, I'm all grown up? Of course not. You have to do the work of a police officer. You still have to be a dad, a mom, do all the things that are required in life. So maybe a better question is, what do you want your life to look like? when you grow up? Or maybe I could present that question to you today. What do you want your life to look like? Do you have a vision? Do you have an idea? Because what happens when we get the job that we worked really hard to get, or we have the degree, or we have the spouse, or we finally, you know, achieved the goal of marriage, but yet still feel unfulfilled, still feel restless, still have trials, still have difficulties, storms that you're facing. What are you going to be when, you're gr- when you grow up? The answer to that certainly doesn't set you up for success in those circumstances. Am I right? So we find Moses at his burning bush experience, and God tells him to bring his staff. Life is ever-changing. Let me find my place. I'm sorry. So you've got the job, the status, the degree, but still unfulfilled. So God tells Moses, in he's really just the backdrop for our main character today, and I'll get to that in a moment. But God tells Moses, which I think is probably one of the biggest miracles in all of the Bible, in all of history, what God is instructing Moses to do is to free three million Jews, to free three million Israelites out of the grip of an evil ruler, Pharaoh. Pharaoh has a large army. He's well-equipped, and he wants Nothing more than to keep them captive. And God instructs one man, one person, to go before Pharaoh to have the miraculous happen. He tells him to take his staff. This is our main character today. The staff. The shepherd's staff. I want to flip it over. It's easier to hold this way. Hey. I did karate last time. Might do it again. If you were here, you know that what I'm talking about. So the shepherd's staff 
was customarily given to a young Hebrew boy when he would come of age. When he was considered a man, it was a rite of passage that he would be given a staff that was treated in such a way, the wood was treated so that it would last him a lifetime. So this shepherd's staff was very personal and very important in the life of a Hebrew boy. What was customary for them to do is to take this staff and with a knife or a sharp object of some kind, every time something significant happened in that boy's life, throughout his life, he was to make a notch starting at the bottom or a mark starting at the bottom and throughout his life all the way up, good or bad. So the shepherd's staff became much like a diary or a journal of sorts. So the shepherd's staff represented a man's life. So much so that on his deathbed, a, a Hebrew boy, now a man, it most likely the marks filled all the way to the top, and he would pass on his staff to the next generation as a sign of blessing. So it's no wonder that God tells Moses to use his staff and to take his staff. So we fast forward a little bit. All the plagues happen, everything, to finally Pharaoh decides, okay, he's going to let the people go. But he has a change of heart, and Moses finds himself where? At the Red Sea. Have you seen the movie? You following me? It's a huge obstacle. It's a huge issue. He has three million people behind him waiting for him to do something, waiting for him to act in faith, waiting for him to hear from God. And he is standing at the edge of the greatest obstacle of his life. It was one thing to get them out of captivity. Now, how is he going to keep them safe? How is he going to bring them to exile completely? Listen to this. At the edge of the Red Sea, this is what God says to Moses. Exodus 14, 13 through 16, this is the instruction God gives him. He says, raise your staff. I mean, have you ever thought about that? I know we've seen the movie and we know that he holds his staff in the air the entire time until the very last Israelite crosses over. And then God, and God parts the sea. They're totally on the other side, unharmed. Raise your staff. I mean, I imagine when Moses found out, the moment he found out that he, in fact, was a Hebrew and not an Egyptian, and he was adopted by Pharaoh's family, I have a feeling he probably put a mark somewhere. Don't you think? I bet he went and found his own staff. He's like, I'm a Hebrew. I know what their customs are. I know what they do. I'm going to keep a diary because I believe in the God that they serve. I believe that he is the God that I'm going to serve. I mean, good and bad, it's likely to assume that Moses actually, when he murdered a man, the biggest mistake of his life, I imagine that he made yet another notch, don't you? And then 40 years on the backside of a desert running for his life. I'm sure he had a few moments that he had it out with God in prayer. That he repented. 
another notch. A moment God affirmed him and said, it's not too far gone, another notch. A moment that God said, you're still my son. You are good. I don't see your sin. I forgive you, another notch. Every plague, more and more and more. Every time God used him in a miraculous way, he would put another mark in his shepherd's staff. So no wonder, standing at the Red Sea, this pivotal moment, needing the miraculous, God says, lift up your staff. I mean, I like to create like a picture in my mind, kind of a movie, if you will, of this moment. Don't you imagine that if you're lifting up your staff, this is something so personal to you. This is something so important and sacred to you. It's your life. It's, it's all of these markings of the things that God has done, good and bad, the things you have gone through. I imagine in that moment, God did that for a very specific purpose. Because Moses most likely started looking at the staff, maybe in a weak moment of faith going, okay, God, you got to do something. Okay, God, they're counting on me. Okay, God. And you know what he sees? I bet he started smiling a little bit and he's like, whoa, I remember that mark. That's the moment God forgave me. I remember that mark. That's the moment I had confidence to go in front of Pharaoh. I remember that mark. That's the burning bush. I remember that. The faithfulness of God. The consistency of God. The way God carried him through over and over again. And in that moment, God had him lifted up for one purpose and one purpose only. It's so that he could keep his eyes on what was necessary. To keep his eyes on what would bring him faith. The faithfulness of God. His story, his consistency, and his concern, Moses lifted it up. And he kept his eyes on the faithfulness of God. And sure enough, the Red Sea parted. Sure enough, he was able to make another mark in his staff. He told him to raise it up. And God used it, that moment and worked the miraculous. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, his compassion never ends. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Can I get an amen? amen. Great is his faithfulness. I'm going to say it again. Great is his faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh each day. He's faithful. Good and bad, he's faithful. Another story that kind of sets a backdrop for our main character is the story of David. Are you familiar with it? I've actually taught it recently, and I love that story. But I saw a little something different this time when I was studying. When David goes to the battlefield, he's a shepherd at that point, right? When he goes to the battlefield to convince Saul that he is in fact the one that will take down Goliath. He goes to Saul with full confidence and he says to him, the very way that he convinces Saul that he could trust him, a young boy, to take down this massive giant is he says, hey, I've struck a bear and I overcame him. I struck a lion and I overcame him. I mean, he's a shepherd protecting his sheep, what is the most likely thing that he used to strike the bear? 
to strike the lion, his staff. I mean, this is David who eventually ends up becoming king. He's fully aware of the faithfulness of God. He's seen it firsthand. I love this. Listen to this. I literally like felt like the clouds of heaven opened up and like angels started singing when I read this. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. So hopefully you think it's really good too. So he says to Saul, I have fought these battles and I have confidence in my God. Verse 40. This is the same moment that we're, that was loud, sorry. This is the same moment that God, that we all know that he leans down and he gets his five smooth stones. Heard that part? He gets his sling. He's ready. But listen to what verse 40 says. You could read over this, but you're not going to anymore. Verse 40 says, then he took his staff in his hand. I mean, he doesn't use his staff to fight Goliath, clearly. But you know why he takes his staff? In a moment that he probably had a whole lot of trepidation. In a moment he was faced with something that could easily cause him to fear and maybe run in the opposite direction. He took the very thing he knew he could lean on, and that's the faithfulness of God. He took the very thing he knew he could lean on, and that's time and time again God had come through for him. And in a moment, I imagine when he bent down, he probably was like, oh, yeah. There's the mark from the bear. Got one stone. Oh, yeah. There's the mark from the lion. Got another stone. God is faithful. And he said, I am not going to fear. With confidence, he ran out, and he took down Goliath. I mean, there was probably a moment that he thought, whoa, he's a lot bigger up close than he was from afar. But he's seen God move. He knew his God was faithful. He knew God was going to do it again in his life. His toughest battle, he looked at his staff and it represented the faithfulness of God. And you know what? This is the same David that wrote Psalm 23. Are you familiar with the passage? I'm going to read just a little bit just to refresh your memory. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, did you ever wonder... How does a stick bring comfort? Your rod and your staff comfort me. You know what that means? It means your faithfulness comforts me, God. In the middle of a trial, in the middle of a storm, when I have everything going for me and life throws a big, huge L, I can look and know your rod and your staff, it comforts me. Everything I've been through, every trial I've faced, you have brought me through, and you're going to do it again. Can I get an amen this morning? I mean, for me, we all have our stories, but for me... If I were to do what's customary and I were to make some marks 
and some notches, probably somewhere early on, I would probably make the mark of the abuse that I went through as a little girl. But then, probably not too far on top of that would be a mark that I would put because I found out that God loved me and that he saw purpose in me, that he had a destiny for me, that he was going to heal me. Probably another mark would be severe depression that I went through as a teenager to the point that I attempted to take my own life. Probably a couple of marks I would put there because that was rough. That was a trial. But then above that, God spared my life through a foolish decision that I tried to make. God saw purpose. God saw destiny. But I had a long road to recovery and healing. Probably a couple more marks. Maybe a little bit further from there, we find ourselves in a, way, a doctor's office. And a doctor looking me square in the eye and saying, you know, I hate to tell you this, but your son Jude, your little three-year-old, all his symptoms, everything that I'm seeing as a professional leads me to one diagnosis. He said, now we'll have to do some testing, but I'm pretty confident that your son has cystic fibrosis. I assure you that would have been a mark on my shepherd's staff. That was a rough day. That shook my faith. I needed to remember the things God had done before. But then, a month later, we get a good report. And we find out Jude does not have cystic fibrosis, another notch. But then, a year later, they call us and say, oh, Mrs. Smith, we're so sorry to um, break this news to you. But, in fact, we were never 100% sure that he didn't have cystic fibrosis. There was not a test available at that time that could give that um, much clarity as to what he might have. Can you bring him back in for new technology that's available? Talk about a roller coaster, am I right? Talk about a test of your faith, a trial, a storm, a moment that I had to look at the faithfulness of God. I had to remember, God, we've seen miracles before. God, you've brought me through so much. God, I lift my life to you. I, I have to remember. I have to stand on your promises. I have to know you're faithful. We get a call. A month after that, we find out he does not have cystic fibrosis. Thank you, Jesus. And that time, they were 100%. They haven't called us back. It's really good news. But then, of course, that was another mark that I made. But then probably a little further up after that is when Zoe was born. A beautiful little seven-year-old that sang this morning. We find out. I mean, the moment she's born, they... You know, everyone's, yay, yay, yay. And then it gets a little awkwardly quiet in the hospital room. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. The doctor looks at me with the best smile that he could muster up, and he says, I'm so sorry. He's like, we actually have to take the baby, and we have to do some tests. It seems like she has a hole at the base of her spine. 
He says, so we have to make sure that it is not open from the inside. He said, because if it is, she can easily contract spina bifida. See you in 48 hours. <laughs> Felt a lot like David running out on that battlefield. A massive enemy in front of you. Although confident, although standing in faith, but a little bit shaken, needing to rely on the faithfulness of God, needing to remember he's brought me through. I mean, I had to look back. Okay, God, you did this for Jude. You're going to do it for Zoe. Okay, God, you spared my life. There's purpose. There's something greater. But you know what? Ultimately, I had to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, God, we know you can bring us through. We know that you are powerful enough. But even if you don't, you're still faithful. Even if you don't, you're going to show yourself worthy somehow. Maybe not the way that I'm thinking, but somehow. That was a moment my husband and I had to lift up our shepherd's staff. That was a moment we had to remind God of his faithfulness and ourselves of his faithfulness. I'll never forget we turned on a worship song in the hospital room. I could barely get up and walk around, but I sure did. <laughs> this is recorded. I sure enough did. I got up. We turned on his song, the song from our City of Life record. And it's the song Joy. And it actually, the words, ironically, it's a fast song, but it really ministered to us in mid-tempo song. And it says, it's not that everything is all perfect, but still I'm happy and I'm learning how to keep my head up when everything is going down. And then it says joy. I keep tripping on joy. In that moment, my husband and I had to lift up our shepherd staff, each of us individually reminding ourselves of the God we really serve, how faithful he really is, how constant he really is, how caring he really is. I mean, if you were standing up here, you could tell me your journey. You could tell me your story. I love hearing the things that God has brought people through. Some of you have been through the most devastating loss, but God brought you through. Some of you have lost a loved one. Some of you have lost a relationship. Maybe you're in a, the middle of a trial right now and you're like, oh, Pastor Amy, that's a big old notch that I would put on my shepherd's staff. But prior to that, I mean, you remember when God set you free, don't you? You remember the day that you gave your heart to Jesus, don't you? You remember the things that he spared you from before you knew God? And it was only by his grace and your praying grandma. <laughs> Am I right? Someone loved that. But today, this is our main character, the shepherd staff. The shepherd staff reminds us of the faithfulness of God. If you get nothing else today, I want you to know and be confident in the fact that he is faithful.
he will come through for you. You are not alone today. Your situation is not too far gone. The diagnosis is not too huge. Whatever you're facing, he's faithful and he's gonna see you through. I didn't get to finish the story of Zoe. But 48 hours later, the doctor came in with a big old smile on his face. He said, good news. She's gonna have a weird dimple on her backside for the rest of her life. <laughs> He's like, but it's closed and there is no chance of her contracting anything. I think that deserves some praise. Again, another moment God was faithful. Today, take a clear inventory. Today, think about the things he's brought you through. Don't let the enemy sidetrack you. Don't let the enemy convince you that things are too far gone and that they're too extreme and that you've messed up too great. You're too far from God. That now you've really messed up and God can't forgive you. I assure you he will. All you have to do is remember his faithfulness. That is what strengthens our faith. That is what we build our lives on. That is why we can run clear-headed into a battle and know we will have a victory, full of confidence to know the enemy will not defeat us. We will be overcomers. We will have victory in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone just say, he is faithful. He is faithful today. God bless you. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.